It's the Misdeeds and Intrigue podcast, featuring stories of royals, scandals, and true crime. Here are your hosts, Harry and Larissa. Hey, 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 thanks for joining us. Real quick promise, please find us and follow us at Mistreat Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We have curated content on Pinterest and Flipboard. Check out our channels on TikTok and YouTube, and if you would be so kind, like that famous prince we all know, please show us some love and rate and review us. Positive vibes only, right? But first... Champagne. Hot. I am your host, Carrie. It's a beautiful day in the scandal hood. Oh, it's just, it's (laughs) Easter, right? It's Larissa, by the way. No, I was just so excited because not only is it Easter and Passover, by the way, there's a very exciting topic that I have today, and you're going to find it amazing. We won't talk too much about scandal up front, but I'll at least do a little bit of an icebreaker. Okay. She won't go quietly. That's the problem. I'll fight till the end because I believe that I have a role to fulfill and I got two children to bring up. So it recently came out, Martin Bashir showed Princess Diana fake Tiggy leg abortion bill bombshell claim about royal nanny made to inquiry into how rogue reporter got royal interview all these years later all these years later first of all martin bashir i think is practically dying right now covid and oh my god yeah so they've been going through this whole inquiry basically thinking that diana was manipulated to do that whole bombshell interview you know Mm -hmm. the one that megan strangely kind of looked like her during Mm -hmm. hers that's such a coincidence. Yeah, with the heavy eye makeup and the mm-hmm. even the head tilts and all that. And Diana was said to have been obsessed with the bizarre idea that Charles wanted her murdered in order to marry the royal nanny Tiggy. Like by then she was getting very paranoid. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Around 1986, again, according to the biography written by Jonathan Dingleby about your husband, he says that your husband renewed his relationship with Mrs. Camilla Parker Bowles. Were you aware of that? Yes, I was. But I wasn't in a position to do anything about it. What evidence did you have that their relationship was continuing even though you were married? A a woman's instinct is a very good one. (laughs) Is that all? Well, I had, obviously, I had knowledge of it. From staff? Well, from people who minded and cared about our marriage, yes. What effect did that have on you? Pretty devastating. Rampant bulimia, if you can have rampant bulimia, and just a feeling of being no good at anything and being useless and hopeless and failed in every direction. Wow. They're saying that he showed her like a fake abortion bill in order to get that interview back in 1995. Like it, it was so, in 1995. So Martin showed... Diana, a fake abortion bill saying that Tiggy was pregnant mm-hmm. by Charles. Yeah. Oh my God. What a piece of crap. Yep. Oh my gosh. And wow. this investigation was launched by Sir Robert Fellows, which is the queen's private secretary and Diana's brother-in-law after the princess allegedly approached Tiggy at a party in his 
so sorry to hear about the baby. <sighs> yeah. And so they've been since November, they have started writing up this report saying that Martin Bashir, I think, what was it? Panorama or whatever. Panorama, but, Yeah. Yeah. That he was, he manipulated her with false documents in order to get this scoop to kind of get her in a position to. How did they find out it was a false? Well, obviously they asked Diggy yeah. and, and apparently everything nothing. Like yeah, apparently nothing ever happened between them. You know, and that would seem so out of character for Charles, right? He wasn't, mm-hmm. he had no interest in any other woman but Camilla. That yeah. was it from the beginning. That was from the get go. It was Camilla. That was the true love of his life. I can't even see him. It wasn't like he was philandering with several different women. It was always no. just one. Yeah, that's what I think so too. The other thing that came out, and I want to do a future episode on this one a little bit more deeper because I was so obsessed with this story when it first came out. That Princess Charlene of Monaco, I feel like there's something a little off with her. Hmm, what's the what's the scoop? So the prince is facing a third paternity suit, and this one overlaps <gasps> when they were together. Well, for the prince who seemed to have the George Clooney no marriage philosophy, no expense was too big for the woman who would change his mind. Prince Albert and his bride to be appeared to be the picture of happiness when they were spotted at the last royal wedding of Prince William and Kate Middleton. But today, just days before their own wedding, there's speculation that something may have gone wrong. It's the other royal wedding, a glamorous $80 million affair. As a perpetual bachelor, Monaco's Prince Albert is finally settling down and marrying the stunning former Olympic swimmer, Charlene Whitstock. I think it is a huge deal for Monaco. They haven't had a wedding this big for 50 years. But is this fairy tale turning into a nightmare? Numerous reports have surfaced that the future princess-to-be has bolted for the airport with a one-way ticket back home to South Africa. It's been reported that Whitstock was concerned about fresh allegations regarding Prince Albert's notorious past. He's fathered two children out of wedlock, and under Monegasque law, neither child is a legitimate heir. Still, it seemed nothing could pressure the prince to tie the knot something he confirmed to ABC's Ron Claiborne in 2006. Any plans in the near future, in the distant future, that you can disclose? I have no plans in the near or distant future. As for the Charlene runaway rumors, a palace spokesperson told People magazine, none of this is true, and we think it comes from utter jealousy. So for now, it seems the three days of festivities with a concert by the Eagles, two ceremonies, 3,500 dinner guests and fireworks remains on. Oh, no. How, so how old would the child be now? At least 14 or 15, right? Yeah, because their twins are six. and But the rumors of paternity suits were swirling since they got married. Because remember how she didn't interview when she was like crying and supposedly she was bribed to stay because she was going to run out on the wedding hours before because oh, she heard of a right. pretty suit. Mm-hmm. Did he just not wear a condom ever? Oh, that's what I'm saying. So too. <laughs> was, was he allergic to lambskin? What is the problem? I read a really interesting book on the Grimaldi's and it's very particular about their line of succession. Like he needed a legitimate heir. They were going to lose it. Like it gets succeed. I think it goes in subsumed by um, France. I want to say, I don't remember. It's mm-hmm. been a while since I read it, but what if he didn't, and they have to be legitimate. So he Okay, was, so they can't her, be bastard children, right? Yeah. And so what if it was Prince Charlene had, Princess Charlene had issues conceiving? Like, what a mess. Yeah. What a mess. So 
it, does it have to be a male heir? I know they yeah. have the twins. Mm-hmm. One's a boy and one's a girl. So yep, they don't they don't adjust it for nope. a female. Nope. And that was written since the Monaco, the history of it is basically whoever ruled it would just squeeze the inhabitants for every cent they could get so they could live like lofty lives in Paris, like generation after generation. It wasn't really until Prince Albert's father was there even some chance of, you know, where the person like lived there and and wanted to take care of it. 11 films and with her whole career ahead of her, Grace stunned the world by announcing she was ready to give it all up to marry the crown prince of a tiny European principality called Monaco. Surrounded by France, the world's second smallest independent nation was practically unknown to anyone except the wealthy jet set who basked in the luxury of Monaco's beaches, casinos and lax income tax laws. But in 1955, Crown Prince Rainier's engagement to Grace Kelly immediately put Monaco on the map. But even prior to that, there was a time where it was kind of considered backwoods and now it's considered this capital, oh, yeah. of, you, you know, beauty and upscale and luxury. Well, yeah. yeah. So before it was just like, see ya bitches, we're yeah. going to go to Paris and party. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. Like, Let's tax the shit out of you <laughs> and party it up, up in Paris. That's how it was. Champs for all my friends in Paris. <laughs> see ya. <laughs> so on that note, you have an interesting story about a uh somebody that we both have a mutual interest in we were just another toy to be passed around and that's what they did jeffrey epstein may be dead but the fight for justice is not today we announced the arrest of one of the villains in this investigation just four days ago glenn maxwell the most wanted woman in the world was found hiding out in new hampshire she ruins so many lives. She belongs in jail. You want to hurt kids? That's where you go. Epstein's number one co-conspirator finally arrested after a year on the run. Helped him exploit girls who were as young as 14 years old. She's repellent. She's truly evil. Now, a new criminal investigation on Epstein's Caribbean island exposes the true extent of this predator's shocking behavior. What happened on Little St. James, it was so horrifying. The actions were just reprehensible. And adds pressure on Prince Andrew, still hiding in the palace, refusing to be interviewed by the FBI. Prince Andrew has simply totally stonewalled. So I went down a rabbit hole this last week because just recently, like this week, Ghislaine Maxwell was actually charged with sex trafficking of a minor. Before it had always been like conspiracy. She was never formally charged. And this week she actually was charged with sex trafficking of a minor that she was paying. And this was way after Epstein's first Uh, In 1998, his first allegation, this was in 2004, before she started dating Ted Waite. So I decided I want to know how far that apple fell from the tree. Mm -hmm. So I decided to see where she came from. So I looked up Robert Maxwell, who was one of the biggest publishing magnates in British history and actually American history, if you look back. The billionaire owner of the Daily Mirror hit the front pages in November 1991 after he went missing from his yacht. A body has been found in the sea off the Canaries 
it would appear very much as if it is that of our father, but we have not actually received formal confirmation that it has been identified as such. Wasn't he, she a daddy's girl too? Oh my God. So let's get, let's get in on this. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, I'm listening with bated breath because I know you're I'm, dipping your toe in and I'm already swimming in this pond. With oh, scandal I'm, with loving Robert it. Maxwell. I'm loving it. Okay. So Robert Maxwell, the head of the whole Maxwell family, um, he was born to Jewish parents in Czech- Czechoslovakia. So he was not British by birth. I did not know um, that. I didn't realize yeah. that. And her name is like French, right? Yeah. Well, um, her name, his wife was born in, she was, she was French, part of the Huguenot empire yeah. and everything, okay. but we'll, we'll get to Betty in a bit. Okay. So he, so Robert Maxwell obviously was born a uh, Jewish and before the Holocaust came, he escaped. He kind of ran during the Holocaust. He literally lost his whole family. Most of them were killed in the Holocaust. Like he was the only one that escaped and he escaped. Uh, He served after the Holocaust. He came back and he served in the Czech army. And then he served in the British army where he won the military cross of heroism. So he had a military career. And during this time, the one thing about, about Bob Maxwell is he changed his name several times. A, because of the Holocaust, mm-hmm. B, because he wanted to fit in. He was just constantly changing his name, yeah, right? Like a chameleon. It's almost, it reminds yeah. me of uh, Catch Me While You Can, that Leo DiCaprio movie. Like, let me keep changing yeah. my identity. Mm-hmm. So after his military career, he met his wife, Betty, in France at the Sorbonne. He is reported to have spoken nine different languages. I don't know how true that is. But uh, apparently he was just very intelligent. They married. They had nine children. Yes, nine. They Dear said Lord. that he, he felt so bad about losing his whole family, which was essentially eight or nine family members to the Holocaust, that he really wanted to populate his family for his missing family. They were like the replace, replacement family that he never had. I think that's a, I think that is also a concept in the Hasidic community that they were lost a lot in the Holocaust. And now their job is to procreate, to regenerate the lines. I could be totally off there, but I think, I think it has something like that to do with that. So as you've explained, the community members grew up very much under the shadow of the Holocaust, as you did too. Uh, And I noted in one of your previous interviews, you said the following, I cannot remember a moment when I was not aware of my identity as a descendant of Holocaust survivors. That's a very painful mindset. It's not necessarily painful if that's all you know. It's simply a fact of life. I, what I meant to say with that is that I can't remember having like a consciousness and not being aware that the Holocaust happened. But that is not to say that I suffered very much every day from this knowledge. I think I can describe a a kind of cumulative suffering that Mm. has come with me as I have grown up, Mm. and I have taken with me a lot of irrational fears from my childhood. But during that time, I didn't acknowledge it or experience it as suffering. I just Mm. experienced it as normal. Mm. I thought it was like this for everyone. And um, I loved the people who raised me very, very much. And the fact that they were survivors made me feel, of course, that my suffering could not compare to theirs. And since I loved them, I never wanted to complain about what I went through because I only was aware of what they went through. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he he just was so, 
he was so saddened by losing his whole family. So they had nine kids and one died. The, a little girl died at the age of three from leukemia, I believe. And then the big brother right before Ghislaine, Ghislaine was the last one. She was the baby of the family. He passed away in his teens. He was in a car accident and he was in a coma for around 10 to 12 years. And then he finally died of, I think, uh, meningitis in his coma. That's terrible way to go. Terrible way to go. And the weird thing is during this whole time, so the wife, Betty, would basically stay at home and just churn out child after child after child. Bob was, at this time, he was starting his publishing empire. Uh, he bought Pergamon Press in England. This He was selling encyclopedias. The weird thing was, as they said, that during this whole time, his wealth was never what he said it was. He would always exaggerate and come up with these outlandish numbers to make his empire look bigger than it was. I feel like half the people that are big entrepreneurs now, they do that. They overinflate their value. Like, well, that's what I'm valued at. That doesn't necessarily yeah. have disposable cash. Like he, he's like the big daddy of that, that scam. Robert Maxwell was perceived to be somebody who could cut through red tape, get an invitation to visit the Kremlin, could support Mother Teresa, could relieve famine. This was a man who could do just about anything. It, he was. He was always telling stories. It doesn't remind me at all of our former president, but anyway. Um, so, yes, he was a very big character. This is not a political podcast, by the way. <laughs> I'm dying to talk about that case in Florida right now of that guy that was on the sugar daddy site, but I don't want anybody thinking we're making a political thing. You know how they were playing a Harry Potter game and sex trafficking and DOJ got involved. Wait, what? About all this Matt the- Gates or Gats. Oh, and I'm like, yes, I'm yes, dying to talk about it, but I don't want people thinking that we're, I mean, we already do Royal family, which to me is the British, but it is a scandal. Yes, I and it I- is a scandal. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Weekend Update. I'm Michael Che. I'm Colin Jost. Representative Matt Gates, who looks like a caricature artist drawing of me, <laughs> is reportedly under investigation for an alleged sexual relationship with an underage girl because Gates believes that only voters should have to show ID. <laughs> it's also being reported that Gates may have paid for sex with women he met online. That story has since been confirmed by his whole vibe. <laughs> Gates then defended himself, releasing this very normal statement. See if any of it sounds suspicious to you. Matt Gates has never paid for sex. Matt Gates has never, ever been on any such websites whatsoever. Matt Gates cherishes the relationships in his past and looks forward to marrying the love of his life. Here's my response statement. Colin Jost does not believe you. Colin Jost thinks you've been to all the websites. And Colin Jost thinks he should hold off on sending out those wedding invites. I feel like we do Democrats just as much as we do Republicans. Like, every, like we're equal yeah. opportunity over here. I think if there's a scandal involved, you just got to do it. I mean, I mean, we're getting into some, a little bit of politics here with, with Ghislaine when we see, yeah. you know. Well, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. During this time in England, he was also a Labour MP in British Parliament. So then he bought, after he got Pergamon Press, he bought the Mirror, 
in England, which was a newspaper. It's kind of yes, a rag. That's a big. Um, in 1984, he really hit the big time, buying Mirror Group newspapers for £113 million. But the guarantees he used for the loans were controversial. He was using the pension fund as collateral for the money he borrowed to buy the shares. Outwardly, Maxwell seemed a saint. But in business, he was ruthless. He was a monster. He was... A damaged human being, seriously damaged. He was a complete bully, an exceptional, bombastic bully. And his sense of other people was probably zero. Maxwell's business empire was built on borrowing. And when he needed cash for his creditors, he simply took it from his company's pension funds. But in 1991, there were allegations of a far greater crime coming out of the Mirror Group arm stealing. The allegations were made in Parliament by Nigel West, then a sitting MP, on the 21st of October of that year. Well, I received from the best possible source a series of documents that indicated that an employee uh, on the mirror was engaged in uh, trading for arms uh, with the knowledge of Robert Maxwell. The two of them had conspired together to supply weapons to the Sri Lankan government. These were embargoed weapons, and this was a money-making exercise, and it was outside of the law. Maxwell's co-conspirator was Nick Davis, the Mirror's foreign editor, though Davis categorically denies the allegation. It did seem strange having your foreign editor moonlighting in the arms trade, but being the foreign editor gave you a wonderful opportunity to be in the right places at the right time when somebody needed a few rifles and machine guns. The Maxwell would probably be able to open doors all sorts of places. Yeah, so he was kind of in this pissing match with uh, Rupert Murdoch. He desperately wanted to meet Rupert Murdoch. They met Rupert is like, who's this guy? He was always trying to, but they were going after the same newspapers hand in hand. Uh, Robert Ma- Maxwell ended up getting the New York daily news and Murdoch ended up getting the New York post. So it was like tit the for tat. And it was newspapers it, like Carnegie and Rockefeller yes. and like British publishing. Yes. Whoever went for it first, the other one would outbid them. It was, it was, constantly but see Rupert Murdoch was known as not as slippery mm-hmm. of a guy as Robert Maxwell because Robert's whole history changed several times at first he said this gypsy helped him escape uh Czechoslovakia and then it changed to he did it on his own he hopped a rail car it was always a different story and a big grand story this guy was the ultimate narcissist everything was about him and Everything was about how grand he was. I always wonder, do you think people that are really successful in a way, some of these people have to have a personality disorder? Yeah, they they actually, they do. I mean, at one point, the inquiry investigating um, a takeover a bid for his publishing company said, the Department of Trade said, not in our opinion, a person who would be relied on to exercise proper stewardship of a publicly quoted company. They had zero faith in him. He was just a bag of wind to them. It looks like he would have been filled with bag of wind too. He looked a little puffy. 
the great big greedy nincompoop. Augustus Gloop, so big and vile, so greedy, foul and Or they nicknamed him the Bouncing Czech, like Bouncing Czech CZ, Czechoslovakia. That's what they nicknamed him because he was he never really had the money. He was always floating one company after the other. And, and everything was done with great fanfare. Uh, he even bought this estate called it was an Oxford mansion and it was named named Headington Hill Hall. And he leased it from the Oxford City Council. And he said this was going to be the best council house in the country. This is where he threw all these lavish parties. He had statesmen. I mean, this is the thing. He knew Margaret Thatcher. He had lunch with President Bush Sr. He was really involved with Israel. Uh, Yitzhak Shamir at the time delivered his eulogy at his funeral. He gave over $200 million to Israel. I mean, this guy was all over the place. Um, and so he knew it was kind of like the scam we were talking about a few weeks ago, the Sarah Lawrence scam. That guy had loose ties with notoriety. Maxwell actually knew everyone. He did, but no one was really fond of him, except maybe Shamir, because he was just so, he lied. He lied constantly. So anyway, Headington Hill House. As he got older, he became ultra paranoid, you know, just like we all do when we become older. I feel like there's a commonality too. It's either it's like this midlife thing starts in and they, I've seen it even with generations now that I've seen. I was just talking to somebody actually the other day about this, where the person was really getting into like these conspiracy theories and stuff. And it's, it's like, it starts in around and don't get me wrong. I'm very close to this age, but it starts in around the Mm fifties. And and it's like, I don't know what happens, why we become more susceptible to that kind of stuff. Well, I think, um, you know, I'm, in my 50s. And I would like to express that my dryer takes the socks and then sells them <laughs> on the black market. And I'm convinced that my dryer is making money off of my socks. But he was so paranoid that he bugged every, he tapped phone lines. He bugged pillars in his house. Uh, he put, he installed microphones everywhere. And at the time he was he had several mistresses, right? So one was into uh, one was into like spankings, and oh. and then he then he was, he had this mistress who was uh, like a like a romance writer. So she would write these books, and she would write books that directly reflected her relationship with Robert Maxwell. What Maxwell? Oh so she, my gosh! So she, like, I... oh. so she would like name the head character Peter Blackwell or. Pobert Fabwell, or you know, I hope I didn't read any of these. No, so she would, and the one who wanted spankings. Um, I guess Robert wasn't spanking her hard enough in the beginning, so, so she was like the original Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, yes. he's Christian Grey. So she was like, You're not spanking me hard enough. Oh, just give me a minute, give me time, I'll get there. <laughs> yeah, no, this is exactly what he was saying, you know. He so. The affair didn't last that long with the with the one who was doing romance novels because obviously everyone would read them. And and one of the names she chose for Headington Hill Hall was Reddington Hill Hall. Yeah, so, <laughs> so it's very it thinly. Like very similar. Uh, so he began installing microphones. And what he would do, he installed microphones at the mirror office and he would conduct all of his negotiations. For like his pension fund, he started this huge pension fund that was worth 
at the time it was worth over 400 million pounds, which was like $800 million. It was a huge, huge pension fund. So he would do negotiations, you know, getting money from all over the place. He would do them in this room, which was microphone, had a microphone in it. So they'd start the negotiations. He would step out of the room, go into his office, and then just listen to what the people he was negotiating with were talking about. Mm -hmm. So he could come back in and have the higher leg on what they were saying. He would always he would always get the edge in his negotiations. Oh, that's so weird because didn't she do some tape tape? Okay, so this and stuff is what I'm Epstein? getting to. Listen to this. So this okay. is what I'm getting to. So he even went so far as there was one assistant that he had. I can't remember her name. I think it was Elizabeth. He adored her. She had mm-hmm. to be everywhere that he was. He had to make sure that he was everywhere she was. So what he did, flew her everywhere. He kind of made advances on her. He wouldn't let her have her own life. It was almost like she was a captive. And she, towards the end, she was not really down with it. Yeah, she liked the perks of being on the private jet. She liked the perks of staying in five-star hotels. But she also was kind of getting into a relationship with one of his heads of his corporation, Mm -hmm. who she honestly loved. So she broke it off with him. And one of the heads said, I have to break it off with you, Mr. Maxwell. You know, I'm in love with Elizabeth, blah, blah, blah. He, she had a flat in London. He had his people buy the flat next door and the one above so he could bug the, her apartment and then have peepholes so he could spy on her the entire time. He was obsessed. And this kind of crosses over into you know, Ghislaine this whole time, she was old enough. She was like in her 20s by this point when it, all this stuff was going on, her late teens, mm-hmm. 20s. And she was his favorite daughter. And the reason she became his favorite was because she was a last. So she didn't get a lot of attention as a baby. So her parents were like, oh, poor Ghislaine. She's not getting enough attention. We must shower her with gifts. We must treat her like a queen. So they would constantly be dragging her along with them on trips and money here, money there. She got By far, the siblings said she got the best end of the deal. I mean, he was really mean to his sons. He kind of shit on all the other kids. He was kind of a mean guy all around, unless you Mm -hmm. unless you're on his good side. Who's Robert Maxwell? Well, he's risen from the deep because his favorite child, his daughter, Ghislaine, he did have other daughters, but he had a particular fixation, I would call it, with her because she was the child most like him. So who was he? He was, in the 1980s, an incredibly powerful media baron. He owned six national newspapers. He was a rival to Rupert Murdoch nowadays, much better known, and he was uh, the greatest thief of the 20th century. He stole half a billion pounds in 1980s prices from his own employees' pension funds, and he did many other things too. One of his sons the, the, uh, was the second to eldest because the eldest passed away. He didn't like him. He, he hated him. In fact, when he died, he wasn't sure if he should be happy or sad. He, he was kind of both because he just got treated so poorly by his dad. So, you know, Ghislaine was seeing this stuff happen. And when she was with Epstein, uh, allegedly, 
they bugged all of Epstein's houses with video and audio and would use that video and audio to blackmail some really, really big characters. I feel like she learned everything from her dad. I really feel like she did. And I think she has big daddy issues or her husband now is trying to make it out to be like, she's a victim and all that. But I feel like she was partially a perpetrator. Yeah. She was like in on it. It was almost like two, there's like a husband wife team that were serial killers in in the UK. Yeah. You probably Uh know what I'm talking about. They remind me of that where they both got off on it or they were both predatory or she you know, was impressing Epstein. I don't know. There's psychological being a daddy's girl. I'm sure that she was showered with praise when she would come up with a younger, prettier girl for him to have sex with. You know, that had to happen where she's like, Oh, look at this one. She's 14. He'd be like, Oh, Ghislaine, you're the best man. You're getting me these young hot chicks. I mean, you just had to know since she was always seeking acceptance from her dad. Do you see why there might be little public sympathy for her? Well, I think that's been whipped up, actually, by a lynch mob uh, media performance. I'm not minimising the seriousness of the allegations, but my sister's fighting for her life, and that's pretty serious too. Maxwell became a fixture on the New York social scene in the 90s after the death of her father, disgraced media mogul Robert Maxwell. She turned heads for her relationship with the mysterious financer Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, You know, my father was... an extraordinarily well-connected man in his own right. So she had uh, grown up in that world and was uh, able to move in it very freely. And you knew about her friendship with Geoffrey? I only met him uh, once in a a party. I had no knowledge of their life or life that Gillen was leading in any great detail. Ian Maxwell says he last saw his youngest sister in June 2019, when all seven Maxwell children were together in London, as seen in this photo provided to ABC News. It was just a month before Epstein's surprise arrest. Mega wealthy financier Jeffrey Epstein was arrested Saturday for alleged sex trafficking of girls. You guys had no, we had no clue idea. what was coming. Gillen is, uh, you know, been married with uh, the stepchildren, uh, getting on with her life. We're all getting on with our lives. And then bang. As the Epstein story breaks, law enforcement also investigates his alleged co-conspirators, including Maxwell. Then, a shocking turn of events. We are coming on the air with breaking news. He's sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein's death in federal custody. Died from suicide by hanging. Gillen retreating from the public eye for months. She's married as a husband and two stepchildren. She was simply seeking to protect her family. She was not running away from law enforcement. Ghislaine Maxwell, ex-girlfriend of Jeffrey Epstein, tonight under arrest. At this 156-acre property dubbed Tucked Away that she bought for more than a million dollars. Ghislaine was arrested in a dramatic FBI operation in July 2020, accused of grooming three of Epstein's underage victims, knowing that he intended to sexually abuse them, the alleged misconduct going back two decades. Suddenly, he dies. And they've got this really serious problem. They've got uh, uh, victims of abuse deprived of their prime target and opportunity to uh, question them. It seems to me inescapable that the authorities decided they had to do something about it. In court documents, the government says Maxwell had an essential role in sexual exploitation that caused deep and lasting harm. Ghislaine is now spending her ninth month behind bars. Her first two bail requests have been denied. Getting, he was in his late 60s and he had embezzled 
over 400 million pounds from this pension fund, basically the whole pension fund. He took it and spent it and propped up all of his other businesses. It was gone. They were on the brink of being indicted. Uh, His sons were involved. His sons didn't really know the extent of it at all. Robert just kept on hiding it and saying, oh, it's fine. It's okay. We're good. We're good. And took a trip on his yacht. The Lady Ghislaine is the name of the yacht. So if that doesn't say daddy's girl, I don't know what does. Naming your mega yacht after her. And he took a trip over by Spain, Gibraltar, Canary Islands, and it was with a newer captain. And the reason, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the crew because this kind of plays into the conspiracy theory upon his death. So the captain was a little bit more relaxed than all the other captains he's had before. Betty was saying she didn't know why there was a new captain on board. The crew was a little bit more relaxed. And, you know, in this book, I got this from this audiobook called The Fall. It's a book. It's an audiobook and a book obviously. And the crew was a little bit newer. Also, they had had the same crew for many years or when they would switch over, they would really, you know, vet these people. And this was kind of a different crew. We have gone through deckhands like a condom salesman at a whorehouse. So Bob went off by himself. Now he knew this house of cards was going to fall down. He absolutely knew it. So he went on the yacht by himself to clear his head. He had been on there. As you did. Yes. As you oh, did. I just the other day, I was like, I have to get on my yacht to clear my head. Easter's coming up. It's spring break. <laughs> Give me a break. What am I going to do with my child at a spring break? He gets on the yacht. They sail here and there. And, you know, his son is going to fly in. He's supposed to have a conversation with his son who's running the company about the indictments that are going on. And he's supposed to get on the phone. Well, that night, the events of that night are very sketchy. Apparently, the, the stateroom was too hot. So he went out on the the stern of the boat, which is the back end of the boat, which had these two bar railings. You won't really find this on a mega yacht now, but there were, there were two bars, like the ladder style bars, and on the yeah. back of the boat. And was, there was no swim platform or transom. It was just those two bars. And then, you know, the wall. So he was on the back and he went to get some air. Then he came in and the cabin was too cold. And he was really famous for not being able to sleep. He would sleep like minimal hours of sleep a night, minimal. And I wonder why. And it probably even made him even more crazy. But I've noticed we need to come up with a psychological profile of all these types of rich sociopaths. Because I feel like the lack of sleep is one of the symptoms. You know what I want to do? Remember the body language guys? I want them to do one on Bob Maxwell. If we can get an old video clip on Bob Maxwell versus Mm -hmm. Ghislaine. Long story short, the next morning, the crew is looking for him. He's supposed to be on a phone call with his son. He misses the phone call with his son. No one can find him. His sons were kind of cute. Were they? I didn't even see the sons, were they? (laughs) Well, Ghislaine looks exactly like her dad, so that's not cute. She does. She's she's not there. She's... Not horsey, but she's like a man's kind of woman. <laughs> like she's, you know what I mean? Like she's a hearty She's woman. got a man face. <laughs> oh, and one more thing I wanted to tell you. And she always accentuates it with like the short yes. hair. It kind of reminds me of Countess Luann from yes, New yes, York. Yes. But she reminds me of, I think it's really funny how, not funny, ironic, how Andrew kept saying, well, I didn't know in his interview. Well, I didn't know that, you know, Epstein had charges. I was in with Lorraine with like, it was perfectly acceptable. Like he, or with Ghislaine, like 
he kept saying, well, I was friends with Galene and now she's under, he really thought that she was going to be sheltered from any repercussions of that relationship. So he kept making it sound like she was like snow white pure. And that's why I had Epstein around. Oh, I guarantee you these latest allegate, well, not latest allegations, their, their charges, these latest charges, this is going to, this is going to hit Andrew too. Because now, instead of just being a conspiracy, these charges are from 2004. He was friends with Ghislaine and Epstein that whole time. And we even get I'll get into some of that when I discuss Ghislaine. There's not much on Ghislaine, but enough to get you to make the correlation of how the apple does not fall far from the tree. The bad apple. And on the 5th of November, 1991, he became the biggest story of his career. Is that Mr. Maxwell has disappeared? Sadly, appeared uh, missing. It's now been at least six and perhaps twelve hours since he disappeared. It was soon found out that Maxwell had taken at least four hundred million pounds from his own company's pension funds to prop up his failing business. But darker conspiracy theories soon started circulating. Mrs. Thatcher uh, believed that. Well, Maxwell had been bumped off by Mossad. She didn't know why or how, but that was the view that she took. The fact that a former prime minister thought Israel may have killed Robert Maxwell is a clue to just how dark his past really was. It's claimed the Israeli connection began in the 1940s, when Maxwell legally smuggled parts for aircraft into Israel to keep its air force flying during its war of independence. Some say the connection continued until the day he died and included dealing in everything from nuclear secrets to high-tech surveillance equipment. There's no formal evidence he was ever given money by the Israeli government. It's not quite how Israel works. You know, the rich, Israelis are the ones who put up the money, and the state does them favors. Cahill claims that with his empire falling apart, Maxwell spent his final days trying to extract the millions he needed from the Israeli government, whose secrets he knew so well. Maxwell had been blackmailing the prime minister and had been moved from asking for money to demanding money and saying what he'd do if he didn't get it. The Prime Minister at the time was Yitzhak Shamir, an ex-assassin and Mossad kingpin. He was not a man to threaten. And, if the allegations are true, he decided to act on the night of the 5th of November. By the way, I love the research you did, and it's really cohesive. Are you sure? Because I feel like I'm jumping. Oh my God, it's so cohesive. So, they're looking for Robert Maxwell. They cannot find him on the yacht. He's nowhere to be found. They alert the authorities. Obviously, he's missing. It's like a man overboard situation or a polar bear overboard. I mean, this guy was the size of a polar bear. Yeah. Nothing. You'll find out later that they had to get an extra large coffin that wouldn't even fit on the hearse plane. Anyway, spoiler alert. He's dead because I mentioned a coffin. (laughs) (laughs) So they send out the Spanish military. They're doing they're flying over with a helicopter. About 12 hours later, a Spanish fisherman spots a body in the ocean. The helicopter comes. They had to get three different harness systems to lift the body from the ocean. That's how heavy it was. Uh, They bring it in to be identified. They 
inform Betty, his wife. She's in England. Mm-hmm. They inform his sons, Ghislaine, the whole family. Well, at first they just informed Betty and Maxwell's right-hand man, like his, his director. And they fly over. They they identify the body. They had the his right-hand man identify it. And then they had Betty go in to confirm it because they didn't want her to see the body if it if it wasn't him. He was floating face up, spread eagle. And his hands were like this, like they had been clutching a bar. So his, so this led me to believe that he possibly slipped and fell overboard and grabbed onto that bar. And then when they did the second autopsies, the weird thing is, is he demanded to be buried. His last wish was to be buried on Mount Olive in Israel, right? A Jewish burial. In order to do that, yeah. you have to get the body there within five days. But you can't, you can't do anything. You can't have a burial, anything on the Sabbath, which is Saturday. A Spanish autopsy and release of the body could take weeks. So they were trying to like get this thing done so quick. They didn't seal off the yacht or anything to do any formal investigation. They didn't question anyone. Uh, they did the people who did the autopsy were in this little fishing village. It wasn't really a clear autopsy. In fact, when they sent the body to Israel to do the real autopsy the night before he was to be buried, the night before his service, they put twine, they tied his body up to keep the organs in place. They didn't even stitch anything back up. They're just like, oh, hey, uh, put that spleen back in. Let's get it in there. And they, it was, he was like a, a turkey or a roast that had been tied up. So when they undid the, the ropes in Israel, like everything just kind of fell out. It was. So it didn't Margaret Thatcher thought it was the Mossad. Yeah. And why would they have? Well, done here's that? the thing. So um, there were some conspiracies around this. A pe- couple of people thought it might've been the Mossad. I don't know. They buried him in state. They, they had him lie in state. They had this huge fanfare. They had a military parade not a parade, but an escort of his body. It's like Shamir was there. Every big person in Israel was at this funeral. A lot of big people from around the world, you know, just sent their condolences, but this was before anyone found out that he had embezzled all that money from the pension fund. He went from like this hero of the day of his death mm-hmm. to a zero, a hero to a zero, big scandal. There were a couple of things. People thought maybe he had had a stroke or a heart attack and then fell overboard. Um, other people thought he used to like to pee over the back of the boat, which, yeah, he was kind of a pig. He used to pee over the, over the top of his building. And people thought he was urinating on people below, but there was actually a gutter mm-hmm. system to the side. So he wasn't actually peeing over the building. Yeah. But he was kind of foul that way. So they thought that they... In the second autopsy, they found on the backs of his shoulders, there were scrapes and there were torn Mm -hmm. muscles. So if you can see me, if he was holding onto the railing like this, it would have, he was so heavy, it would have torn all those muscles. Part of me believes it was, part of me believes it was just an accident. He could have been urinating. They could have hit a swell and he could have fallen overboard because he, it seemed like he had been holding onto that rail for a long time. But a lot of people think he could have been there was a plot to murder him because he, he made a lot of enemies and Mossad. They thought it might've been Mossad at one point, but I don't know why it would have been them. It's said around four o'clock, but it's never been confirmed that he phoned for coffee or something. And that's the last contact. 
At 11 o'clock, lawyers from one of Maxwell's companies phoned the yacht and demanded to be put through. It was only then that Maxwell was discovered missing. Initially, few people thought that it was any more than a suicide or perhaps a heart attack. Maxwell's company in trouble. The foreign editors and arms dealer scandal in the office and Maxwell had plenty of enemies. Loads of people who wished him well. <laughs> Probably wished he spent a little longer drowning or whatever it was. But many conspiracy theorists believe Maxwell met his end when Shamir's Mossad squad boarded his yacht from a fast speedboat. To board his yacht without being detected while it's on the move on the high seas, to toss him overboard without any evidence of uh, violence, I think is stretching credibility. But Cahill doesn't think Mossad needed a speedboat. He thinks Shamir's squad was already in the Lady Ghislaine when Maxwell arrived, disguised as members of the crew. Nobody ever interviewed them. They disappeared. And the Spanish police didn't go after them either, as far as I know. And one of the other curious things, none of the tabloid press have produced anybody from the crew who's credible with an account of what happened. I need to watch a movie on on that. I think Borat is in a movie right now about somebody related to some sort of spy thing. I don't know enough about the Mossad. Neither do I. I just I just know that they're supposed to be really badass. Well, it was it was rumored that when he was growing up, he was part of MI5. He was part of he had really strong ties to Russia. It, Gorbachev was his big buddy he was supposedly had ties uh, same with our sarah cult leader yes kgb supposedly he had ties to kgb it was rumored these are rumors that he was spying for a lot of different people but none of them were ever confirmed yeah so Ghislaine, 30 years old at that time shows up there was one interesting thing when he came to new york to buy the daily news he had this big party on his yacht and Ghislaine was there. She was kind of his emissary in New York. He started, well, kind of like, you know, how Gail King is Meghan and Harry's emissary. She was kind of an emissary for her. <laughs> I love how you just threw that in there. You're just, like, sometimes you are so like snarky, but you got to be listening for it. Cause you're, you're very, um, what me? Yeah, you're so like deadpan about it. I just have to compliment you there. So she was his emissary. He figured out this gifting service for her. So she ran this gifting company out of New York so she could get close to like the Clintons, to everyone. She was a socialite in New York. And this gifting company never made any money. It was like a shell company for Ghislaine to like spread her wings in New York. So when they had this big party that he was buying the news, they had it on the Lady Ghislaine. And I guess Donald Trump was invited. And he was super pissed off that he had to wear booties. They gave people, you had to either go barefoot in your socks or wear booties because he didn't want. The- oh my God, I could totally see him being like, pissed off about You know that. why he was pissed off? Because he wanted to buy the Daily News because he wanted to use it. This was in the 90s. He wanted to use that as his platform, as a political platform back then. So he had plans. And he was in the Democratic Party. Yeah. Did you ever meet Donald Trump when you were in New York, when you were working for Stern? No, it's very funny that you say that though. 
I met a lot of his. You just seem like you'd be adjacent. I met a lot of his mistresses, by the way. A lot of his mistresses I've worked with, and I know way too many stories. He wears tidy whities doesn't he? You can just blink or clear your throat if he does, because I just he looks like a tidy whities kind of guy. Yeah, he just looks like a tidy whities kind of guy, and not like um the kind that you like pull up and that has like extra room in the tidy whities And by the like way, form fitting. They're like like almost like diaper like. I sat next to Ivana at a dinner party at in Cannes one year at the film festival. And that was some interesting dinner conversation too. Really? That not Ivana is his ex-wife, not Ivanka is the yeah, daughter. No, Ivana, right? his ex-wife. Oh, yes. she, and she has no filter. No. She, isn't she Czechoslovakian? I think she, uh, yeah, I think so. Or no, she's Czech. I think. Yeah. Well, I think I was talking to the Colonel the other day. He was telling me about how she's the one that really built up a lot of his business when yeah. they were together. Like his business, she would, she, he wouldn't have had some of the business that he does besides the fact of what his dad had given him money, you know, to invest. But she's the one that was actually the brains. You were married to him. Mm-hmm. Um, how does he treat women and how did he treat you? Because that ended in a rather unsavory way, didn't it? Well, he treated me fantastic. I never had a problem. Don was always polite, always outspoken, Despite always the providing. Despite the details that emerged after your divorce? After my divorce, yeah. See, during the divorce, it was nasty because the lawyers were involved. In a minute, when the divorce was finalized, our financial agreement was done, we became, we are friends, you know, we were together for 16 years. Did he ever and treat you badly in the marriage? Never, never. You know, I was, I was his partner. You know, I was, a, I was a very successful businesswoman. You know, I built the, the, the uh, Grand High Hotel. I built the Trump Tower. I was flying for eight years to Atlantic City to, in the morning at eight o'clock on helicopter, coming back at five o'clock afternoon, running the casinos. Then I ran the Plaza Hotel. I was a boss. And so when uh, lawyers in the course of the divorce talked about the way that he treated you badly, was that not the case? No, it was the lawyer's, lawyer, lawyer's stuff. It was not. Donna never touched me. I mean, badly. Never really. We never screamed. There was no, even during the divorce, there was no screaming, slamming the doors, nothing. It was just, you know, question of the money. And Donna took the divorce as a business. So once that one was out of the way, we were 100% okay again. It's really weird because Maxwell and Trump are, they're basically the same person. They really are. I mean, they do everything big and grand and they always bragging about this business or that business when it's really, it's kind of like all that glitters is not gold. It was, it was really weird. And Trump was really jealous of him when he bought the Daily News. Very. Oh, and so I was reading before we wrap up or whatever. I was reading because I remember you were really in a quibby. And you know how that Harry said, yeah, well, yeah. we didn't have a plan. I needed to get a job and work, get that Netflix deal to, you know, to support my family and get security. Well, apparently mm-hmm. it came out that they were actually talking to Quibi about doing a deal and they were going to do videos of Prince Harry before oh. it before it totally collapsed. Oh, my God. This was this was like right mm-hmm. around. This was right yeah, after the wedding. That, like, that's why they were they were already in talks with Quibi. But I was curious what you thought about Quibi. Like, do you think it? Do you think it? They pulled the plug too soon, or what? What did you think about it? No, it got frustrating. 
I, there was a lot of good programming on there, but it really frustrated the shit out of me because it was mm-hmm. six minutes. The longest was six minutes. So you get all the, you just start getting into something. And if you, if you look at it, a whole season is only about an hour long. It was really frustrating. You would, yeah, I, I hated it. I liked it at first. And then I hated it because they've spent so much money to produce such short things that it didn't even come out to two episodes in the end. A whole season was basically an episode and a half. It was, it, it bummed me out. Um, so let's, do you have any more on Robert Maxwell? I don't have more on Robert. I was going to go into Ghislaine, but maybe I should do Ghislaine for uh, part two. Let's do that as part two. Let's do that for our episode after this one. In a nutshell, we really don't know the true death of Robert Maxwell. Could have been drowning. What do you think? Could have been. I think he, it could have even been suicide. I honestly think it was that because uh, it was almost like one of those things where, oh, I'm going to commit suicide and at the last minute. No, I don't want to commit suicide where he grabbed the railing. (sighs) I don't know. Isn't it weird? About the way he died and then Epstein died. Yeah. And you know, his sons actually went on trial for all of his misdeeds for that $800 million pension fund and they got acquitted. So, because they really honestly didn't know that he had taken that much money. That's kind of like what happened with uh, Bernie. Yeah. How his sons really suffered for the sins of the father. I think one committed suicide. I mean, these guys are suffered. They're such narcissists that they don't even care what the runoff is on their family and it, it's reported that he set up a trust for his kids upon his death and Ghislaine apparently lived off of eighty thousand dollars a year in new york this was before her oh yeah. god there's some good stuff on Ghislaine. i can't wait yeah i can't time. well we'll get yeah well let's let's do her next time but on the way out let's do a little improv and we're your prince andrew okay I am the interviewer okay. asking you why you hung out with Epstein yes. and you can totally, okay. do you think Prince Andrew hooked up with Ghislaine? Do you think they oh, banged? No, no, no. I've never hooked up with Ghislaine. No, 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 absolutely not. She was a, she was a chum. She was a chum, simply a chum. <laughs> a good chum, a good chum. Yes. But simply a chum. Why did you, if Epstein had charges in June, you invited him to your daughter's birthday at Buckingham Palace charges why would that happen now charges as i understood charges were on his amex for buying burberry at uh in london i didn't know that i I was misinformed i thought charges meant he had run up a big bill at at uh what's the big shopping center in town harrods i i thought he had run up a big bill i didn't know they were sexual charges I'm sorry. I didn't, I had no idea. I thought it, it had been, maybe he had run up a big tab eating dinner and he forgot to charge it. I'm sorry. Ciao, darling. Still too early to go to Tiffany's. I guess the next best thing is a drink. <laughs> never be the woman with the perfect hair who can wear white and not spill on it. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Let's play a game, all right? On the count of three, name your favorite dinosaur. Don't even think about it, just name it. Ready? One, two, three.
Hey, it's me again, and you thought you probably had enough of my voice by now. Just a quick reminder to find us and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Miss Intrigue Pod. Follow us on Pinterest and Flipboard where we collect featured stories from across the internet of royalty, chronicles of interesting events in history, and of course, true crime. Lastly, check out our YouTube channel because everyone has one, right? That features playlists of documentaries and other related segments from our podcast topics. And if you want to hit us up, check out Miss Deeds and Intrigue Podcast.com. But we don't have a complaints department, just to give you a little heads up. The podcaster or authors assumes no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained on this podcast is an as-is basis with no guarantees of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. A reasonable amount of effort was made to deliver precise data. All views expressed by the podcast hosts or guest co-hosts are their own and do not necessarily represent the opinions of any entity whatsoever with which Carrie, Misdeeds, or Intrigue Podcast, or Larissa have been, am now, or will be affiliated. The content of this podcast is for personal, informational, and entertainment purposes only, and is not to be viewed for commercial use. Misdeeds and Intrigue Podcast respects the intellectual property of others. Any audio clips that were not generated by the podcast host or producer was pulled from the public domain, free use sites, and or from YouTube, or other authorized sites to gather information. The utmost effort was made to credit the author and or production. If at any time you feel that copyright was infringed, please email Carrie at misdeedsandintriguepodcast.com and immediate action will be taken to remove the audio clips that were present for entertainment purposes only. Andrew Arfur interviews with Bernie Madoff's wife, Ruth, and son, Andrew Arfur, a remarkable look into basically the dysfunctional family life of a world-class con man. Yeah, Miss Morning, we want to show you an extra clip of the interview that did not make it on TV on Sunday, where Andrew Madoff talks about how he and his brother told the FBI about their father. And the decision to turn him in, how did that evolve? Well, we knew, we knew right away that uh, this was that that was our only course of action. Uh, we, two of us, um, got in the elevator, went back down to the street. Uh, driver was waiting out front of the building and said, you know, you guys need me to take you back to the office or, you know, where's the old man? And uh, we, we said, you know, he's still upstairs, you're waiting for him, and we just walked out. Uh, it's, it was pouring rain outside. Um, and we, we, we started to walk down Lexington Avenue and uh, trying to get a taxi, uh, got in a cab and weren't even really sure where to go. Uh, we knew that we uh, couldn't live with this information uh, and not do something about it. And we knew we needed to uh, speak to an attorney and we knew that that was going to lead to us turning him in. But we didn't know how to do that. Um, you know, knowing the right thing to do and then knowing how to do it are two totally different things and we needed help. Uh, luckily, uh, we were able to turn to Mark's father-in-law, who is a litigator, uh, Paul Weiss, and um, Mark immediately called him and uh, said, you know, we need to talk to you, it's, it's urgent, and he invited us to come over to his apartment, which we did, and we went straight there. What was his reaction? He was, uh, he was absolutely shocked. Um, he is an investor. Uh, he had put his, uh, he mentioned he put his retirement money there uh, very recently. 
and uh, quickly sort of dismissed that as, as you know not relevant and just please you know you, you just wanted to hear hear us uh, hear what, what happened we, we recounted the story and uh, he he couldn't believe it and um, we were, we were talking about whether or not uh, we think was was Bernie sane? Was he telling us the truth? Was he making this up? And Mark and I were both clear that uh, he seemed to be clear-headed, and uh, and this was um, this was real. You called the FBI, or or the the lawyer called the FBI. It was later that day. Uh, uh, Marty Marty London, who's a gentleman who's helping us, Mark's father-in-law. Um, brought in some of his colleagues and uh, we walked through the situation and uh, they told us what the proper course of action was uh, in terms of who to call and how this thing is handled because we, we just didn't know that.